This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Podcorn. Yes, the MMA Lawcast has secured its first ever sponsorship, and that's all thanks to the guys over at Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters with amazing sponsorship opportunities that includes host reads, interview segments, topical discussions, and you have full control over how it is integrated into your podcast. There is absolutely no middlemen. So whether your prediction video gets 50 views, 150 views, 250 views, doesn't matter. Podcorn will help you find a sponsor that is right just for you. You set your own rates, and you also get to decide on which sponsors you actually work with. There is no pressure, nor do you have to worry about giving up any rights to your podcast or your brand. Podcorn is there to make sure that you are compensated for all the work that you put in. Podcorn's mission is to give you complete transparency, full control, and let you decide on when you want to monetize and how you want to do it as well. So make sure you click the link below in my description or go to podcorn.com slash podcasters to sign up for your own account now and get started. Start looking for your own sponsors and start making money. Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Auckland, which is headlined by Paul Felder and hometown man Daniel the Hangman Hooker. Uh, should be a very entertaining fight. Both guys are strike first uh, fighters, um, so it should be you know quite intriguing to see who's able able to implement their style. Um, not really sure if I'm going to be betting on this fight. Probably will pass, uh, but I feel like I have a decent enough read on the main event as to why I will end up passing. Right off the top, before I actually get into this episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to Mr. Arkansas for doing what he's doing with the prediction wars or the predictor wars, whatever he's calling it. I'm killing it right now on there. I, I you know, I didn't really know about the. Uh, the competition until at least uh, two events into the year. I think my man Diehard MMA actually uh, hit me up and let me know that I'm in his division. So I checked it out and, you know, Arkansas is putting out good content. So I got to support the man. I uh, appreciate him putting me into that uh, challenge as well. Secondly, make sure you guys go check out the tape index. You guys know how much work I put into that shit, how much my man Newsom puts into that stuff. So uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you guys went out there and supported that. $4 a month. If you're gambling on fights, if you're researching fights, save your time. We got you guys covered. Everything pretty much available on one page. And we're four weeks ahead as well. So if you guys want to go study up on UFC 248, you're, you're welcome. It's there. UFC Brasilia. We just put that up as well. That's the event that's headlined by Charles Oliveira and Ke- Kevin Lee. So if you want to you know, get on that nice and early, uh, try to beat some of these openers when they release, Tape Index is there for you. All the fights that you guys need all on one page. Everything's just a click away. All right? All right, let's get into this episode now. So um, UFC Rio Rancho was the last event that we had. Um, unfortunate outcome, dog, lock of the night play hits. No no qualms about that. Wish that I went a little bit uh, deeper on that play as well. Um, I had 3.5 units at uh, minus 162 on Marab Devalishvili. Uh, I thought that was a pretty easy pick. Um, you know, there was obviously the concern of Casey Kenny's scrambling ability. But as soon as I saw that Marab was able to win that first round, I knew I had this fight in the bag outside of any Hail Mary, you know, flash KO or anything like that. So Marab was able to get the job done there for us. Uh, secondly, I had um, 
2.5 units on a parlay of Montana Del Rosa, who also was going to be a lock of the night play for me. I was thinking about going double lock the night here. I uh, had to pass on that uh, and put her in a parlay with Corey Anderson, and I paid for that. You know, she cashes, however, well, not cashes, she hits, and then Corey Anderson goes out there and gets knocked the fuck out by Jan Blahovic, so we go minus 2.5 units there. Uh, 1.5 units as my dog of the night play at plus 112 on Yancy Medeiros versus Lando Venata under two and a half rounds. That probably didn't go the way that I wanted it to, uh, nor did it go for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people were thinking that these guys were going to slug it out a little bit more, see a little bit more chaotic scenes or, or, or sequences that didn't play out. So minus 1.5 units there. 1.75 units on Jim Miller and Scott Holtzman under two and a half rounds at minus 108. That one whiffs as well. Thought that Scott Holtzman, whenever he cracked Jim Miller, was going to be able to, you know, hurt, hurt him, uh, go in for the kill and get the finish. However, Jim Miller sustains uh, and, and you know, makes it to the decision. He loses it. Uh, but unfortunately, we lose our under two and a half as well. And then uh, minus 0.25 units on... Um, uh, the Hail Mary Patreon Parlay, which was busted by Corey Anderson. If Corey Anderson hit, that would have been over a 5.5-ish unit uh, swing in terms of us getting in the cash money there. But uh, unfortunate loss there, so we end up minus 3.84 units, I believe. I thought it was supposed to be minus 4.11 units. Uh, let me just confirm that. Um, I don't know why my math is off. Yeah, minus 3.84 units. What am I thinking? What am I talking about? I think that was the event before, yeah, minus 4.11. Keep hitting these negatives, and it's fucking killing me. So what we're doing for this upcoming event, uh, and moving forward now, lock of the night play, dog of the night play, that's it. Might be multiple lock of the night plays, but no more than one dog of the night play, uh, unless I am very much pushed towards betting at least two dogs. Uh, but I'm going to try to remain as strict as possible, man. I got to get back into the winning ways uh and i feel like that's the way to go and you know studying my past habits it was you know the most successful days were the ones where uh, i was being super disciplined and super strict and just picking that one play that max two plays for lock of the nights uh so we're gonna go back to that and see how it fares and you know this event coming up with uh on ufc auckland you know, just looking at the betting odds, I mean, it's 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 kind of forcing me to go back to that way. You know, there's a lot of close odds throughout the card, uh, a lot of sketchy odds throughout the card, but I feel like there are a couple fights, uh, two or two to max three fights that I feel like I have a really good read on, which would make for a perfect lock of the night play. Uh, probably only one dog of the night play. You know, I said three fights. One of them is a lock of the night. Two of them are potential dog of the nights. I've already played one dog of the night. So if you guys have checked out my bet MMA tips, uh, you know, since I've placed a bet, uh, you guys will see who I'm on. And obviously, I'll let you guys know who it is in this podcast. So just quick thoughts about the, the card overall. You know, there's a lot of people from that Australia, Australia area, um, you know, Asia a lot as well. Um, Mackie Patolo making his return as well uh, from Hawaii. Uh, what do we got? Zubera Tukukov, Emil Mech is finally coming back as well. That's a that's a, a fan favorite that's been sitting out for a little bit now. Karolina Kavakovic probably fighting her last fight. Uh, very tough fight against Yao Nanyan. Uh, Jimmy Crude against the returning Lord Mikhail Olikshejuk. Love, love Mikhail. Um, don't know what happened last time around against OSP, but I'll dig into that when I get there. And then obviously the main event between Paul Felder versus Dan Hooker. This is a striker's delight. I'm very, very excited to see this fight go down. I um, think it has uh, plenty of potential to be fight of the year, you know, considering how this plays out. And the fact that we get five rounds of it, 
I'm even more excited. So let's dig into this card. Uh, let's get it going right off the bat. So first fight on the night, we got Shanna Dobson against Priscilla Cashuera. Let's start off with uh, Shanna Dobson. Decent fight against Sabina Mazo. Mazo obviously showed that she was the better striker. She was the better, you know, had the better footwork, better movement. Shanna Dobson, you know, not completely crap. If you guys want to put her out there, she's only three and three, so she's still relatively young in her MMA career. Uh, she was on the Ultimate Fighter, lost to Roxanne Modafari pretty much right off the bat. Um, but you know, I don't mind her striking. She fights a little long. She has a good one to decent leg kicks. Um, she has decent movement, uh, but I think that she is in a good spot here to beat a girl like uh, Priscilla Cachoeira. Not sure how Cachoeira really got into the UFC. Uh, you know, she was kind of fed to Valentina Shevchenko right off the bat. Uh, probably the worst, you know, hazing you could possibly get coming into the UFC. Uh, but with Priscilla Cachoeira, um, you know, she's going to be eating a lot of shots here too. I think her only path to victory in this fight is like a one-shot you know that's going to hurt Dobson and 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 follow up from there. Uh, but I think that Dobson is going to be the more active fighter. Uh, she's going to be using her range a lot better. Cashwater just doesn't have the best striking defense either. It's it's kind of crazy to see somebody uh, you know with the three and three record being a minus two hundred over anybody. But I think if you know there is anybody for Dobson to be that big of a favorite over, it's Priscilla Cashwara and. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going out there and, and making Shanna Dobson a lock of the night play or anything like that, but I'm not going to bat my eye at anybody who's actually making a play on Shanna Dobson. Um, yeah, Kashwar is just not UFC level. It's as simple as that. And Shanna Dobson is close to not being UFC level either. Um, so I think that, you know, this is kind of a, a perfect fight for her to, to get back onto the winning track, to get a victory in the UFC. I believe, uh, yeah, she had an, a victory over Ariel Beck uh, in the Ultimate Fighter finale, but since then she's gone 0-2. This is the fight for her to make that statement. If she's not able to get past Priscilla Cashuera, she's obviously getting her walking papers. Uh, but Cashuera probably won't, you know, fare much longer in the UFC either, uh, even if she gets past Shanna Dobson. So my play is going to be Shana, not play, but my pick is going to be Shanna Dobson here by, to win by decision. Um, should be interesting to see how much Dobson's able to beat up on Cashuera on the feet here. All right, next up, we got Mackie Patolo versus, uh, who's he got? Uh, Takashi Sato, this should be a fun fight. Both guys, mainly strikers, they like to throw a lot of heat. Unfortunately for Maki Patolo with his UFC debut, he was not able to get that early finish against Callum Potter, and Callum Potter was just able to bring it to him. Um, you know, mixing in the grappling, uh, pretty much staying in uh, Maki Patolo's face. Callum Potter took that fight away from him. Uh, you know, say what you want about guys coming off the Contender Series and, and making their UFC debuts. That's kind of why I was a little bit skeptical about playing Mackie Patolo um, or even, you know, playing UFC debutants from the get-go. Like, it, it just seems like there is something that happens to these guys once they step into the octagon as to why they're not able to perform. On any given day, Mackie Patolo should have gone out there and actually finished Callum Potter and gotten the victory. However, Callum Potter, you know, his chin holds up. He ate a lot of good shots, uh, but then he just kept pushing the pressure, pushing forward and and getting Patolo down, grinding him out, pushing him up, up against the cage. And that made Patolo very uncomfortable and he wasn't able to get his shots off. You know, when you're going out there and finishing pretty much all your opponents uh, and then you go in there against a guy with an iron chin like Callum Potter, um, it's going to be tough, you know. 
Calum Potter did obviously get, did get put out by uh, Jalen Turner in his fight before that, but this was a tough one. This was a tough one for Patolo. And then this fight against uh, Takashi Sato, I kind of like the inside the distance uh, for both guys. Um, you know, I think they're both going to be swinging. Takashi Sato has a lot of power in his hands. Um, he did get choked out by, by Bilal Mohammed last time around at UFC 242, but here he is back again in a fight that kind of is like, tailor-made for both of them they want to both go out there and show that they're finishers uh and they kind of both have that style of just planting planting their feet and throwing uh heavy strikes i don't see if if there's anybody that's going to try to implement the grappling here i think it's going to be takashi sato but i try i truly don't see that i think they're both going to be headhunting here um one of them's going to end up face down on the canvas um it's it's hard for me to say who it will be uh but I'm going to have to go with Sato. I think Sato has a bunch of power that he's going to be able to land on Patolo. Um, and we've seen Patolo get hit a lot by Callum Potter in the past as well, too. So it, it, it's kind of both ways. What are, what are the odds reflecting right now? It's pretty much close to a pick them. Pick them. Uh, Sato is at minus 120, so a slight, slight favorite there. Uh, I like the favorite here. You know, I like Takashi Sato to get it done. Um, I think he's going to get the finish probably in round two. Uh, but it should be fun while it lasts, you know. Uh, hopefully Patola has learned from his past mistakes and is able to pull off the victory here and and you know not really lose all hope and faith once he if he's not able to put out Sato in that first round but I truly think that this is going to be Sato's fight he has a you know not as heavy of a trip as uh, Patola does coming from Hawaii uh, so may, that may play a factor into it but I think that Sato still gets the victory here all right next up we got my dog of the night play I got uh Loma Lukbunmi, plus 174, 1.2 units. think that this is a great spot for her. So let's start off with her. She's fighting Angela Hill, obviously. Angela Hill taking this fight on relatively short notice once again. She just fought at UFC Raleigh, if I'm not... Yeah, she just fought January 25th, and here she is less than a month uh, later coming in to fight Loma Lukbunmi. So again, let's start off with Loma Lukbunmi. Thai fighter, currently on a two-fight winning streak. Um, she showed... Uh, great, uh, you know, ability to deal with strength in her fight against Alexandra Albu. I'm not sure why that fight was a split because it was pretty clear cut that it should have been Loma Lukbunmi. Um, not sure what that other judge was seeing, but regardless, uh, vicious tie, uh, like her tie clinch is insane. Uh, beautiful elbows, her kicks are insane. Her knees from the tie clinch are just amazing. They're, they're very devastating. And from the angles that they come from as well, she like lifts them and then she's able to just land them perfectly on the side of the, her opponent's body or just bring them straight up and land heavily there too. She's clearly doing a lot of down, damage to Alexandra Albu whenever they were clinching up in that, in that position. With Angela Hill, it's going to be interesting too because I think that Angela Hill likes that position. So it might be kind of being like who has the bigger balls here. You know what I mean? Like obviously these are, these these women are females, but still like it's going to be who has the better tie clinch, who has the better uh, kicks and knees and elbows because Angela Hill, you know, even though she's more of a, a volume striker, she still throws a lot of variety with the strikes too. I like Loma Lukbumi's fight IQ for in her relatively young MMA career. This is going to be her sixth fight coming into this fight against Angela Hill. Um, but she's shown even in her Invicta fights, you know, she she's she knows when she should be able to, to mix it up. You know, she has great sweeps, great dumps from the clinch position. Um, she's able to trip up her opponents pretty much at will, you know, going from knees and elbows to just tricking them to, to dumping them, uh, going for perfectly timed takedowns. Uh, you know, that's a game of hers that's really improving. Um, 
she's quite young too. She's coming into this fight at 24 years of age, whereas Angela Hill is 34 now. Um, you know, I think Loma is going to be continuously uh, improving. She's coming from a great Muay Thai, uh, Tiger Muay Thai camp. Uh, she has a lot of, uh, you know, she her ceiling has yet to be fulfilled in my opinion. Whereas Angela Hill, you know, she looked great against Hannah Cyphers last time around. But I truly believe that, you know, we have seen the best of Angela Hill. She may be getting better, don't get me wrong. But I do believe that Loma is going to be able to make higher higher rates of progress than Angela Hill has. Um so another concern in this fight for Loma would be the 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 fact that she was an atom weight when she was an Invicta. Hannah Cyphers technically should have been an Anna weight as well if we're not, you know, if we're being completely honest. Um but considering the fact that Loma went up against Alexandra Albu in her last fight, you know, say what you want about Albu and her skill set and and what she's able to bring to the table, but the one thing that she is always bringing to the table is her strength uh and her ability to bully her opponents. With that said, I was very impressed with how Loma was able to to handle herself in those situations where uh, Albu was trying to outgrapple her and outstrength her and and outmuscle her. She held her own. You know, she made her pay inside the clinch. So I don't think that Angela Hill is going to have too big of a strength advantage here. Um, I'm interested to see how much Angela Hill goes towards the grappling here. Um, I I am. I believe in Loma's ground game enough to be able to get back to the feet and stay out of bad positions. Um, I think she has decent submission defense as well. Um, but I think that if you're going to give me plus 170 on a fight that should play out relatively close, I'm going to go with the underdog, and especially an underdog that has a high ceiling, I believe, uh, for Loma Lukbunmi. So, um, you know, I think there is a little bit of recency bias in, in this fight too with Angela Hill. You know, she just came off that demolishment of Hannah, Cy- demolishment of Hannah Cyphers. You know, she landed a lot of big elbows from that top position when she gained full mount. Um but uh, I think people are overlooking Loma here just, just due to the fact that Angela Hill just looked beastly in her last fight. So I'm more than happy to take the plus 170 shot here. Um, I expect her, her tie to really play off or, or, or play well in this fight. I expect her to, you know, land good leg kicks, um, kind of stand her ground when Angela Hill is closing the distance since she likes to move a lot and she's going to be able to land on Angela Hill in those instances I can't wait to see them clinch up because I can't wait to see who's able to ring off more knees or who's going to be able to impose the will more in that situation I'm giving the edge to Loma and and again plus 170 a little bit criminal it should be a little bit closer in my opinion it should be like at most plus 130 for Loma look with me so I I like the edge that I have here at plus 170 for Loma uh and that's going to be my pick I'm going to take her by decision I think she just you know out clinches and outworks Angela Hill for the majority of this fight landing the bigger and heavier shots too and mixing in takedowns every now and then as well so she's going to have to be a little bit careful of uh when she does have Angela Hill on the ground because we've seen Angela Hill work on her jiu-jitsu but again I do trust Loma submission D uh, and I think she's going to be well prepared for this fight uh if she you know finds herself in any sort of trouble so again Loma look with me by decision Next up is Kaikara France versus Tyson Nam. This is another fight that I was kind of considering as a dog of the night play. Uh, looking into it a little bit further, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit interesting. So let's start off with Kaikara France. He's coming off a loss to Brandon Moreno in a fight where, you know, a lot of guys from uh, City Kickboxing were on that card, not to mention Vulcan, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, who later on in that card went on to win the featherweight title. Uh, but this was a fight where, you know, Brandon Moreno really showed up. 
Moreno Gold went into that fight, I believe, as a plus 200 underdog. Am I not? Uh, yeah, Kai Car France was minus 165 as, of, uh, as the favorite. So Brandon Moreno was probably around minus 130 or plus 130, plus 140. With that said, Moreno, you know, really showed off his, his striking. Uh, and Kai Car France kind of really didn't have a, an answer for it. You know, Kai really likes to close the distance, uh, likes to land his shots, get in and out. Uh, he throws bombs. He has a lot of power. I believe on that Ultimate Fighter Flyweight series where it was just a. Uh, all the flyweights um he was the only one with a ko finish on that so that is something to say uh he's one of the few featherweights that can actually go out there and or sorry one of the few flyweights that can actually go out there and put somebody's lights out um i think the line is a little criminal here though minus you know it's slowly getting better though so minus 255 for kai car france plus 215 for tyson m i don't think a lot of people are too educated on tyson m you know if you he, he has over what is that 20 29 fights this is going to be his 30th fight coming in uh he has wins over ali bago tinov uh he burst onto the scene with the win over eduardo dantes who was actually the bellator mma champ at that time uh and that's where people started to really get to know him but he's a well-versed striker uh in the fight against sergio Perez, it seemed like he was a little bit um confused and didn't really know how to uh you know attack sergio Perez. um the one thing I saw in that fight is that he only threw really single shots. You know, if he's going to beat Kai Car France, he's going to have to throw like more than two or three shots at a time. And that's how Brandon Moreno was able to get the victory too. You know, he threw a bunch of shots and then he threw a kick at the end of it as well to keep Kai Car France on the, on the edge of his punches and, and guessing in terms of what's coming up next. Tyson Nam goes in there and tries to single shot his way to a victory. It's not going to happen. You know, Kai Car France will come with the two, three shots, the heavy shots. He's going to land on Tyson Nam too. And he might have a little bit of a, a, a reach disadvantage to deal with. But I think that Kai is will be able to 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 close that distance without much issue. Um, I, I like Tyson Nam at the plus 250, plus 275-ish range, which he was at like a little bit earlier. But now that the line is closing a little bit, um, I, I'm not liking it so much. I think Nam has the veteran experience and and the, the chops to actually go out there and and jab Kai Kara France's face off and and add a couple punches, you know, after that jab to get the victory. But I'm actually going to go with uh, with Kai here. You know, I think that. Um, Tyson Nam is just going to get lulled too much into that uh, one punch and one and done type of shot uh, and not really land on Kai, whereas Kai is going to be able to, you know, uh, blitz, ring off his two, three shots, uh, hurt Tyson Nam. I could see him even finishing Tyson Nam later in the fight, if I'm not mistaken. Tyson hasn't been finished in a long time. Last time it was against Marlon Moraes way back at, uh, in 2013. So it's going to be seven years since he's been finished. Um, I like Kai, um, not enough to bet him, not even enough to parlay him, if I'm being honest, uh, but I am going to lean him. The line should be much closer, so if you are trying to look for value here, I think Tyson M is the bet. However, I'm truly picking uh, Kai Car friends to win this fight uh, with his striking, uh, you know, faster hands, in my opinion, too, uh, and then obviously the more power. All right, next up, we got Kanan Song against Callan Potter. Uh, Callum Potter coming into this fight with a victory over Mackie Patolo, who fights earlier in the card, and I talked about that fight a little bit. He grinded that fight out. You know, he really, really went in there, ate a lot of big shots from Patolo, was able to keep his chin in it, uh, and then was able to to really, you know, get his hands on uh, Patolo, get him to the ground, and grind him out. You know, Daniel Kelly in his corner was yelling his ear off, saying that this is what you got to do to win the fight, grind him out, get the takedown as soon as possible. Um, 
and he was able to do it, especially in that third round, and take over from there. Uh, in this fight against Kanan Song, he's fighting another heavy power puncher, a guy that's going to be slightly bigger than him too. Uh, Kanan Song is one of the bigger uh, bigger fighters in this division. Let me get the actual metrics on him. Six foot with a 71 and a half inch reach, whereas, uh, oh wow, it actually looks like uh, Calvin Potter is going to be the bigger fighter here. I don't know why it looks like Kanan Song is so much bigger, but uh, listed here is six one and seventy two inch reach for Calvin Potter. So I might be wrong, I guess, on the on the on the on the the height uh, discrepancy there. But um, I think that Kanan Song is the more crisper puncher, the crisper striker, um, the stronger fighter as well. But we have seen him get taken down uh, with relative ease with some of the guys. You know, in his fight against Darren Krantz, he did end up winning that fight. That was a close fight. Uh, but, you know, it really came down to that last five minutes. And it seemed like Kanan Song had a little bit more in the gas tank to give uh, than Derek Krantz. I like Callum Potter's uh, cardio a little bit better. So if this fight does get into the third round, we could see uh, Callum Potter getting this fight to the ground and, and kind of grinding it out that way. Um, you know, his chin's going to have to hold up for, for him here because he is going to get cracked by Kanan. Um, I kind of see it either as like a first-round KO for Kanan or a three-round grind-out decision for um, Callum Potter. Tough fight for me to bet. Um... What are we at? Minus 200 for Kanan Song, plus 170 for Callum Potter. I think that line's a little bit too wide. The value currently, in my opinion, is on Callum Potter. Not, again, not the most talented guy out there, but is the, is the type of guy that brings his lunch, ba- uh, lunch pail and just and just gets the do- job done. So Kanan Song is nothing special, in my opinion. Again, just a crisp striker, has the ability to put you out in the first round. However, if he's not able to do that, it's going to be tough to for him to pull out the victory against a, a tough gritty out like Callum Potter here. So I'd stay away from Kanan Song, honestly, as a favorite. Um, but I'd also stay away from Callum Potter as a dog. I Personally, it's a pass for me. I'm going to go with Potter by decision, um, especially with this being closer to home for him too. You know, China's not too far either for Kanan Song. Then again, I think Ka- uh, Kanan Song is actually fighting out of... Um, uh, he's been doing his camps. Let me just confirm this. He's been doing his camps... A little bit uh, in the U.S. Oh no, he's actually over in Thailand, if I'm not mistaken. Let me confirm this. I don't want to be talking out of my ass. <laughs> um, what's this? All right, he's been doing his camps out of Thailand, it seems. So, not too far for him to travel either. Um, but again, I do like Kanan Song here. Or sorry, Colin Potter to win by decision, but it is a pass for me altogether. Next up, we got uh, Jake Matthews versus Emil Mech. Jake Matthews currently sitting at minus 225, plus 185 on Emil Mech. Emil Mech, it's been a while since we've seen him in the cage. You know, the last time he fought was July of 2018, where he lost a unanimous decision to Bartos Fabinski. Unlucky for him. He fought two grapple-heavy fighters in Kamaru Usman and Bartos Fabinski back-to-back all within the span of six months. And, you know, you got to give it to the guy. You're going up against tough outs. Kamaru Usman, obviously the champion now. But Bartos Fabinski, you know, probably doesn't have the best striking out there, but has such an imposing uh, style with his grappling that it makes it hard for anybody to pull off a victory against him. Uh, And now here he is against Jake Matthews, a a guy who could probably out-grapple him as well. Um, Emil Mech throws a lot of heat. You know, his fight against Jordan Meehan, he cracked him a lot in that fight and then eventually was able to ride him out in the second and third rounds uh, due to Meehan's lack of, 
you know, ability to get up. But with Jake Matthews here, um, I expect Jake Matthews to go in here and wrestle because if he tries to stand with Mech, he's going to get hit. We've seen Matthews get hit in his fight against Rostam Ackman. Um, you know, he was able to, 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 it was a pretty pedestrian fight actually, but he was able to outpoint him there. Uh, but with Mech, you know, it's going to be, uh, that, that first two or three minutes is going to be tough for uh, Jake Matthews to really close the distance without eating too much heavy shots and then getting this fight to the ground. Um, minus 225, not really keen on betting Jake Matthews there, especially with the two years that Emil Mack has been off. Who knows how much uh, how much uh, of an improved uh, self that we'll see of Emil Mack in that amount of time, uh, but I'm not really keen on, on finding out in terms of betting him. Uh, I'm always a little bit hesitant in terms of betting guys that are coming off as such a heavy layoff, uh, but... And then betting against them too, it's it's kind of rough for me too. Uh, but Jake Matthews always improving, growing into his body more. Uh, you know, quick hands. Uh, I like his ability to mix it up with his takedowns. I don't think it will be too hard for him to take a meal down. Uh, but again, like I said, it's going to be tough for him uh, closing that distance without getting cracked with something. So we know that Emil Mac hits really hard, uh, but that's kind of his saving grace if he's able to all grapple you which he was able to do against Jordan Meehan he probably has a good chance of winning the fights but in this fight against Jake Matthews I think he's gonna be a little bit outdone with his grappling Matthews is, is just gonna have the advantage there um and then after the second and third round I think it's gonna be a lot easier for Jake Matthews to go on there go out there get the takedowns uh and grind out Emil Mech here a part of me is actually hoping that we see Emil Mech 2.0 here you know two-year layoff close to two-year layoff um, you know, new hairstyle. I think he's trimmed off that crazy mohawk that he has too. So it'd be cool to see uh, what kind of Mio Mac we get here. Uh, but tough fight for Jake Matthews. Not willing to lay the minus 225, uh, but I am going to take him to win by decision. Next up, we got Jalen Turner versus uh, Joshua Kulibau. Uh, Kulibau actually is stepping in pretty early uh, on late notice, I believe, for Jamie Malarkey, who was supposed to be, yep, Jamie Malarkey, who was supposed to fight uh, Jalen Turner. Let's start off with Jalen Turner real quick. He had a fight, his last fight was against Matt Frivola, where uh, Frivola was able to really grapple uh, and, and, and impose his will there. You know, Jalen Turner landed a lot of beautiful knees, and that's something that you really have to look out for for a guy that's 6'3", uh, fighting at 155 pounds you know anytime you close the distance a lot of guys like to close the distance with a winging right hook and when you do throw that winning ringing right hook you leave your face open you leave your chin open and you dip it but when you dip it against a guy like Jalen Turner you're going to be meeting a knee more than likely so Koulibao is going to have to really be careful in terms of that the 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 tape that's out there on Koulibao is very scarce you know I was only able to get a couple of his fights especially this one against uh Josh Payne which was his last one but you really got to question the the level of competition that he's been fighting I think the only guy out there that he has fought with a respectable record is uh Rodolfo Marquez 25 10 and 1 going into that fight but the only tape that I can really get on it is the KO finish at the end where he head kicks him and then follows up with punches. Not sure how the rest of that fight went. Not even sure how long that fight went due to the fact that Topology doesn't even have a round time or method. Or well, they have the method which is head kick and punches, but no time and no 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 round. So no idea how the rest of that fight went. All we saw was the KO. Uh, I believe they tried to do that with Justin Taffa too. You know, it was really scarce to find that uh, the first round of one of Justin Taffa's fight was where he did not look good. They only give us the second round where he just goes out there and dust a guy within 40 seconds or something so maybe that's the same thing here with joshua kulibau no idea all i can gather from what i've seen from his two amateur or pro fights that i have available as well as a couple of his amateur fights too is 
he throws heavy um you know has decent leg kicks uh likes to take guys down but mainly likes to mainly likes to strike and try to land the bomb but it's it's so tough to bet on this fight it's well what are the odds right now minus 210 Jalen Turner plus 175 for Koulibao uh you know for all we know Koulibao could go out there close the distance and knock out Jalen Turner we've seen Jalen Turner's chin be tested in the past Matt Frivola had a lot of success in terms of landing on his chin and hurting him too um so this fight's a this fight's a pass for me in terms of you know we just don't know the most about Koulibao and he could go out there and and completely stun everybody I love the the the, the talent that Jalen Turner has. He still has to really put it put it together. You know, he, his only losses in the UFC right now are to Vicente Luque and Matt Favola, who aren't the worst names out there. You know, Favola is a little bit more mid tier, uh, so it was kind of unfortunate to see him get the loss there. Uh, but you know, if he really puts it together, he should be able to to go out there and have a better career than a guy who has the record of eight and five. You know great striking is able to poke guys away uh has finished a ton of guys in the past too so uh, i think this fight against koulibao should be exciting um but i'm not confident in betting either side here what does the fight doesn't go to decision look like minus 170 that's actually not too bad still not willing to pay that to be honest so i'm going to pass on that fight i am going to take turner by uh first round ko i just don't think uh, i i think that koulibao won't be ready for the length that Jalen Turner is going to bring be able to bring into this. Um, I don't know how many training partners he really has to, to train with and emulate a guy that has a style and size and frame of a Jalen Turner. So I'm taking Jalen Turner by finish first round. Uh, probably I'm going to call it a knee. It's going to be a coolie bout trying to close the distance with a with a with a power shot, and he eats a knee up the middle from Jalen Turner and goes night night. So I'm taking Jalen Turner uh, first round KO. Next up we got Zubera Tukagov versus Kevin Aguilar. This is a fun fight. Uh, both guys love to strike. Um, you know, Zubera Tukakov has a takedown in his back pocket if he wants to. Uh, Kevin Aguilar coming off a loss to Dan Ige in a fight where Ige was actually able to, to outstrike him, outpace him, uh, which was kind of weird. You know, I, th- I believe I had Aguilar in that fight as well in terms of a bet. Uh, but the, And then I bet against him. Uh, in the Enrique Barzola fight because I believe Barzola was going to be able to get the fight to the ground and hang on the feet. However, Aguilar did a great job in terms of keeping the fight on the feet uh, and then landed a lot of heavy shots. This fight is is is, is going to be interesting. So it's going to come down to, I believe, Zubera having to, to mix it up a little bit more. He's going to have to land his shots and then go in for a takedown and, and, and try to ride out Kevin Aguilar. We've seen decent takedown defense from Kevin Aguilar. So if Zubera is working too hard for it, he might gas himself out and then have to eat the, the punches of Kevin Aguilar. Um, tough fight to call. Like, like very, very tough fight to call. It's And rightfully so, it's an even fight. I, I don't know which way to go here. Um... You know, in that in that last fight for Zubero, we saw him really push to his limits against uh, Leon Murphy. Leon Murphy, Lerone Murphy, Lerone Murphy. <laughs> Why I said Leon Murphy? Either way, Lerone Murphy really really pushed him there. Um, we saw him really gassing in that last round. He's really pushing to get those takedowns against Murphy. Murphy was just out muscling him at that point. Um, Kevin Aguilar, though, you know, I think he's going to make him pay more on the feet if he starts to gas. Um, I think if Zubera tries to go for those desperation takedowns, Kevin Aguilar was, will be able to easily stuff them and then make him pay on the feet, too. We've seen Kevin Aguilar go the distance. We've seen him maintain his cardio as well, as well as his, his pace and his output. So, very tough fight. Um, 
I will go with Zubera though. I think that his takedowns in the first two rounds will be the di- the difference. Um, I don't know if Kevin Aguilar will be able to put Zubera out. Uh, so I, I will go with Zubera. I think he is going to land those takedowns in the first two rounds. It might be a little hard in the in the get go, but I think that he will probably strike for the first three or so minutes and then mixing the takedown to kind of have Kevin Aguilar, uh, you know, thinking one way and then mixing it up and then being successful with the takedown. So his his double leg in terms of off of his striking is probably probably his best move. Uh, and I think that, you know, as good as we've seen Kevin Aguilar's uh, takedown defense in the Enrique Barzola fight, I think Zubera sets it up way better and has a better wrestling pedigree than Barzola as well. So, uh, I'm going with Zubera here, uh, and the dude needs to fight a little bit more often. You know, he's only had two fights since uh, 2016. Since 2016, he's only had one fight against Lerone, Lerone Murphy, which was back at UFC 242. So it's going to be nice to see him hopefully uh, get a little bit more in, in routine because I think he could be a little bit of a force in that division uh, of 145. So I'm taking Tukukov by decision. Very close fight. It's going to be a pass for me overall. Um, but it, and it's lined perfectly at minus 110. Next up, we got Magomed Mustafaya versus Brad Riddell, which is probably going to be fight of the night. You know, this this is a, a very, very fun fight. Both guys are great strikers, hold a lot of power in their hands. Let's start off with Magomed Mustafaev, who went out there and spinning back, kicked and followed up with punches against Hafiel Fiziev in a fight that, you know, they were kind of feeling each other out, feeling each other out. Uh, Mustafaev goes out there and starts throwing spinning shit uh, and then just pretty much breaks into his rhythm and then bang, hits a beautiful shot on Fiziev and puts him out. You know, his only loss, or at least his only UFC loss has come to Kevin Lee, um, which was a tough fight for him. You know, Kevin Lee, obviously a much more dominant grappler and was able to to get his rear naked choke finish in that fight. Uh, but this Brad Riddell fight, I'd be surprised if either guy goes for a takedown. I think they both want to show off their striking. I think Brad Riddell is going to be the faster striker here. Uh, but we have seen his chin get cracked in that Jamie Malarkey fight. And the fact that he is hittable uh, makes it a little bit concerning. You know, Mustafaeva has a ton of power in all of his strikes. Um... I'm just interested in seeing if Brad Riddell is going to be able to stay away from that. Um, you know, if he's able to stick behind his one-two, a uh, couple of leg kicks, I just think it's going to be tough for him to anticipate what Mustafa is going to be throwing at him. You know, with the consistent spinning shit that he likes to throw and and the, the ability for him to close the range as quickly as he did, you know, it's concerning that uh, Malarkey was able to land as often as he did on Riddell. Uh, so it's going to be, uh, I think it's almost you know a no-brainer that Mustafaev is going to be able to land those two minus 140 from Mustafaev is not a bad line um considering how hittable we've seen Riddell in the past so uh I I, I like Mustafaev it seems like even though he had like such a long layoff uh he you know even though it seemed like he had such a long layoff after that Kevin Lee fight uh and only got into the cage for a minute and a half against Fiziev uh it's 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 going to be very easy for him to to get back into the groove, land on Brad Riddell. Um, and, and that kind of hurts to say. I'm, I'm a big Brad Riddell fan. You know, the guy's amazing, amazing, amazing kickboxing and Muay Thai. Uh, very quick, too. But I just believe that the power is going to be the difference here because it will be a striking battle. I would be very surprised if Brad Riddell is the one going for takedowns here. And realistically, he probably be sh- probably should be the one going for takedowns uh to kind of you know wear out Magomed a little bit more uh and then maybe pull off his striking a little bit more in the second and third rounds 
I just don't see it, though. I think that Magomed is just going to land on him, put him out, uh, unfortunately. I, I love Brad Riddell. I've, I'm going to keep saying it. I think he's highly talented. I think he has the chops to to, to be a contender. Uh, however, his chin is going to fail him here. Uh, and the fact that we saw a little bit of it in his fight against Jamie Malarkey, you know, it's hard to it's hard to see how Magomed doesn't land on him, crack that chin, uh, and then eventually get a finish. So I'm going to take Magomed by first round KO, actually. I think it's going to be a chaos while it lasts, um, but I think it's going to be very fun, uh, and we still get a Magomed first round KO. So I like um, Magomed at minus 140. Not that mad at that. Uh, but not making it a bet myself. All right, next up we got Marcos Rogerio de Lima against Ben Sassoli. It's going to be a little bit of a sloppy fight. It's either going to be a first-round KO or it's going to be a three-round just sloppy slugfest. Um, I don't know which way to lean either way. Minus 150 for de Lima, plus 130 for Ben Sassoli. You know, de Lima used to fight at 205, which is crazy. The guy looks thicker than a motherfucking snickers the guy is huge um and he throws with a lot of heat too i think the funniest part of the ufc calendar last year was the fact that the first shot that he landed on stefan struve in their fight he pretty much dropped him <laughs> like literally the first first shot as whoever the commentator was was reading the short colors for each guy or what corner they're in stefan struve goes down that just shows right off the bat how much power he has in his hands He's a very good kicker too. Has a lot of power in his kicks. Um, you know, from what I heard, he's been working with Rodolfo Vieira on his jujitsu. You know, doesn't seem to have worked that well against Stefan Struve. The guy seems to have a gas tank for one round. After one round, it's going to be tough for him to really put it together. Unless he like grinds you out like he did against Adam Wizerchek by just staying on top. Uh, it's going to be tough for um, him to really, uh, you know, stay in the standing position and outstrike Ben Sassoli over over three rounds in 15 minutes. Ben Sassoli, I believe, is going to have the better hands here. I think he's the better boxer. I think he's a little bit more crisp. Uh, he's going to be slightly quicker. You know, DeLima will have the power advantage here, but I think that Sassoli will be the quicker fighter here. However, uh, I still think that Sassoli gets cracked. Sassoli has a decent chin on him. You know, he ate a lot of bonds. He ate decent bonds from Greg Hardy, but the fact that he got, you know, pretty much decisioned by Greg Hardy is very concerning. Greg Hardy went out there and put on a 15-minute clinic of just, you know, sticking and moving, sticking and moving, landing a couple good shots, but then staying out of the range of any, you know, tough uh, problems. Uh, but it's tough for me to see how Marcos Rogerio de Lima goes out there and, and does the same. I'm going to go with the dog here. I think that Ben Sassoli, you know, stays away from the heavy shots of de Lima, chips away at him, and then probably gets the victory in the second round by TKO. Um, he's going to have more in the gas tank at that point. He's gone the, dis the distance a couple more times than uh, de Lima has. Um, and again, if DeLima is not able to land that bomb, it's going to be tough for him to get the victory here. He's going to have to stay consistent with that leg kick if he wants to slow down Sassoli and, and try to catch him with those uh, overhand hooks that he likes to throw. Uh, but I like uh, I like Sassoli here. Not enough to play him at the dog odds, though. Uh, but I think he's going to take this away with the second round TKO uh, by mixing his hands in together. He's going to have to eat some shots. As long as his chin continues to hold up, he should be okay. And then second round, I think he puts away Delima with uh, a TKO. All right, next up, we got my, more than likely my lock of the night play. I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys. We got Jan Jaunan against Karolina Kovakovic. 
Uh, Yan currently around the minus 250-ish range, uh, minus 240 on Pinnacle, which is one of the main books that I use. I think that with the name value of Karolina Kovalkovich, we're going to see a little bit of line movement, which is why I'm going to wait and see if I can at least get maybe a minus 215, minus 220 on Yan. But I'm more than happy to pay the juice on her in this fight. Before I continue to shit on Karolina Kovalkovich, I want to give her a round of applause for for continuing to take the highest level of competition, uh, even though she's on a three-fight losing streak. She lost to Jessica Andrade, followed by Michelle Watterson, followed by Alexa Grasso. And now she's even taken a tie. I think she's taken, this is the, the second toughest fight out of those four women, and she's taking it coming off of three straight losses. All props to her. I don't know what kind of game plan she's going to be coming into here with, but everything that I've seen in all of her three fights lends it right into uh, Xiao Nanyan's game. And that's the the heavy striking, the the combinations, you know, the the fact that whenever Yan throws, it's never really one shot. Like very rarely will you see her throw a jab and then not follow it up with something. And that's what sets her apart for most of her opponents. She goes in there and then she throws three or four strikes back to back to back, all with power. And that's what makes these women uh, you know, so scared to go out there and, and, and strike with Yan. You know, she did it to Angela Hill. She was close to getting finished by Angela Hill. Let's not be mistaken, you know. Uh, end of the first round, Hill had a very tight triangle uh, set up. She got, uh, Yan got saved by the bell. Who knows how that would have went, you know, if that one fight went a little bit longer, 10 to 15 seconds longer. But I don't think that we're going to see Karolina Kovacovic go out there and, and submit Yan or lock her up in a triangle or anything like that. I think Yan's just going to be too strong, uh, too powerful, um, you know, Kavakovic, she she holds her chin up. She just doesn't throw the most behind her shots. So it's going to be hard for me to see how Yan is going to be stifled by anything that uh, Carolina is throwing at her. I think Carolina's best shot here is to try to mix in some takedowns and try to get this fight to the ground. However, I just don't think she has the power or technique to be able to get Yan down there. I think if this gets into the clinch position, we'll see Yan rip knees to the body. We'll see her, you know, rip some elbows. She loves to throw elbows too. She she loves to throw some spinning stuff as well. But I just love her her tenacity, her viciousness, her 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 raw aggression whenever Yan throws shots. It's 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 all with bad intentions, and that's always gonna hurt a girl like Karolina Kavakovic, who you know I don't believe has much in return. It's it's tough for me to see in, uh, a scenario where Karolina actually pulls this one out. Uh, I kind of laid it out a little bit earlier in terms of she's gonna have to mix in the takedowns and try to get this fight to the ground, but I don't think she's gonna be successful. You know that that takedown that Hill landed on Yan was a little weird. It was like a, a change of momentum trip, but I don't think that Karolina is really capable of doing something like that. So. I think that Yan is going to go out there, strike her face off. I wouldn't be surprised if she goes out there and gets a finish. You know what I mean? Like uh, she is going to land at will on Carolina and she's throwing heat. So I think that she could crack Carolina and put her down. Um, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take Xiao uh, Nan Yan by third round TKO. I think she just continues to overwhelm Carolina. Carolina eventually breaks and we get Yan come out uh, on the other side with a victory. You know more often than not, you don't really see fighters who are on as much of a winning streak as Yan is. She's 4-0 right now in the UFC, whereas Carolina is coming off of three straight losses. This is all name value. This is all the passing of the torch. Carolina is on her way out. She will probably more than likely retire after this fight. She's obviously going to get cut. This is four straight losses. If you want to give her a little bit of slack, you got to be like, all right, UFC, she always went out there and fought the best of the best. Give her another shot. 
You know what I mean? I just don't see that though. I think that it's going to be very demoralizing for her to get this fifth victory or fifth loss or fourth loss in the row, I should say. Uh, but she should have nothing to to hold her head down about. You know, uh, Yan is a future contender in my my opinion. As long as Zhang is able to hold on to the title, we might get some China on China crime here. I'm very excited for the potential of that fight. Um, but yeah, there's nothing that I really see in terms of Carolina. Uh, giving to Yan, that's going to make her get this victory. So I got Yan, clear, easy victory here. Um, again, I'm going out with a limp and saying that she's going to get a third round TKO, but she hasn't had a finish since uh, she won. She beat Sohi Lim way back in 2016 via punches, but all of her other fights have been pretty much decision victories where she's just completely outstriking her opponents. So I'm going to say third round TKO just due to the lack of striking defense that we see from Karolina Kavakovic. All right, co-main event time. Jimmy Crute versus the Lord, Mihal Oleksijak. Let's start off with Jimmy Crute, who's coming off a loss to Misha Serkanov last time around. Let's just quickly look at the odds. Minus 135 for Mihal, plus 115 for uh, Jimmy Crute. So Jimmy Crute, decent fighter overall. Um, you know, had the chops to go out there and beat guys like Chris Birchler, Paul Craig, and Sam Alvey. The Sam Alvey one, I'll say, is a little bit of a, a early stoppage. You know, Alvey did get hurt earlier uh, prior to the finish and then, you know, just got pounded out. Was up immediately, so I'm not really giving too much uh, credit to Jimmy Crute's power. Uh, Misha Serkinov went out there, took him down a couple times, and then eventually pulled off the Peruvian necktie. And if you guys watch that fight back, Misha actually tried the Peruvian necktie a little bit earlier before he got the finish. So you could see it's something that he was fishing for. Maybe not something that a lot of guys are expecting, especially a guy at Jimmy Crute's level. Uh, level. You know, I'm not shitting on Crute, but the fact that Misha Serkinov has been grappling almost his entire life, you know, to pull that out of his back pocket was uh, kind of fun to see because we don't really see Peruvian neckties really pulled off in the UFC. But this fight, I expect it mainly to take out on uh, to take place on the feet. Both guys love to slug. Both guys are heavy punchers. Um, but I think that the the forward pressure of Mikael is going to be the difference maker here. You know, Jimmy Crute, not the most active striker, likes to throw every now and then. The Chris Birchler fight was throwing enough to get by. The Sam Alvey fight, he was just kind of waiting for Sam Alvey. But this Mikael guy, it's going to be tough. He's going to be in your face. He's going to be ripping shots to the body often. Um, and it's all going to come down to his his cardio, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I went lock of the night deep on Mikhail against OSP, which was his last fight, and then he goes out there and gets fucking Von Flute choked in the second round. I think the difference in that fight was the fact that, you know, Mikhail was really dealing with the grappling and the strength of OSP, which was pretty evident that he was the stronger fighter. You know, uh, Mikhail was having a lot of success in that first round, continuously going to the body of OSP, seemingly, you know, draining osp of his cardio but then uh, osp comes out in that second round and gets the takedown and then eventually gets that von flu choke i don't think we're gonna see jimmy really try to pull that off i think mikhail will be okay if crude decides to go take this fight to the ground uh, i think he'll be able to get back up but as long as his cardio stays in check um and he you know is able to portion it out over 15 minutes he should go out there and strike uh jimmy Crude's face off just being honest you know the the odds minus 135 it's a little bit tempting if i'm not if, if i'm being completely honest here you know michael still has a lot of a lot of potential and i think a lot of people are starting to write him off because he got von von prude i must say 
you know, cut the guy a little bit of slack. You know, he went out there thinking that he's going to put out OSP in that first round. He wasn't able to. He's going to have, as long as he knows that he's going to go in for a tough, long fight against Jimmy Crude, he should be okay and should be able to pace himself to to outstrike him for for 15 minutes. You know, he has the better body work. He has the, the, the better pace. Um, he has a pretty good chin from what I've seen. Um, you know, the, the complete demolishment that he put on Antigulov was a thing of beauty. I love watching that that fight. 44 seconds of just complete brilliance on his side. So as long as he knows he's not going to go out there and try to finish Jimmy Crew in the first round, this should be an easy Michal, uh, probably decision victory, I'll say. I'll give it to Jimmy Crew. He is quite durable. He is quite, uh, you know, he is hittable. He's durable. Uh, he has a good chin on him. But I think that Michal is going to be the one that goes out there and, and completely boxes his face off. You know, I I don't think we've really ever seen somebody that digs to the body as much as Mikhail. Uh, it's it's a thing of beauty, like truly. Like the, everybody likes to go out there and headhunt and try to put guys away and and have these highlight reel KOs, but Mikhail is just going out there and just fucking like just murking people to the body and and it takes so much out of a fighter whenever they're continuously getting hit to the body and and it's even more discouraging when this guy continuously walks you down. So I'm 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 still high on Mikhail. You know, I'm going to I'm going to write off that OSP loss. I'm still high on him. Um not 100% sure if I'll actually play him here, uh but I'm definitely thinking that he's going to be the one to win. I'm going to take him by decision. I just don't think that Jimmy Crew has the chops to get the victory here. He's going to have to try to wrestle. That is his only path to victory here. He's going to have to try to wrestle if he wants to beat Mikhail. Don't see it happening though. He might be successful the first couple, you know, the first couple times, but after that, I think Mikhail is going to get back up uh, and then continuously put the pressure on him uh, and then make Jimmy wilt. So I'm taking Mikhail by decision, and we get to witness another beautiful uh, striking display, especially body shots. Love that shit. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, main event time: Paul Felder versus Dan Hooker. This is going to be a fun fight. This is going to be a great fight. Um, it could also be a boring one. Let's just be honest. If they both go out there and try to stare at each other and see who's going to, to you know, if they want to try to counter each other, uh, they could be staring at each other for 25 minutes. Nobody wants that. However, I think that Dan Hooker is not going to allow that to happen. Um, so let's start off with Paul Felder first. Uh, the Mike Perry fight, I'm going to write that off a little bit. He broke his arm in the first fight, in the first round, and then still went with the full decision uh, and won that fight. Um, the James Vick one, I believe that's the fight that he actually uh, punctured a lung in the first round and still went the full three rounds and, and beat James Vick. Amazing performance there. The main benefactor in that fight was his leg kicks or, or his, specifically his calf kicks. He rendered James Vick's calf pretty much useless after that first round, uh, and it was very, very evident. Um, and you know, with opening up that calf kick, he opened up a lot of his hands uh, as well. Landed a lot of spinning elbows, uh, a lot of strikes to the face. His hands look really good too. I think he's going to have the advantage here in terms of hands when it comes to him against Dan Hooker. And then obviously that Edson Barboza fight. Pretty close fight. Uh, I look back at the judges' scorecards and it was kind of it was a little crazy. Uh, one judge had it all three rounds Edson Barboza. One judge had it all three rounds Paul Felder. And then one judge had it uh, rounds two and three for Felder and then one for Barboza. I think that judge was the correct one, rounds two and three for Felder. You know, we saw Brad Rosa start to slow down a little bit, and Felder was able to get his shots off. And the most, the funniest part about that was the fact that, uh, you know, once Edson Barboza took the fight to the ground, you think he's going to be the one that has the advantage. Paul Felder goes out there and starts elbowing this motherfucker's face up. Like, 
just just cuts him up, has a pool of Edson Barboza's blood on his chest just from a couple of the elbows that he landed on him. It looked freaking weird and insane. Like, you'd never really see a guy, unless his name is Tony Ferguson, but you don't really ever see a guy land as much damage as Paul Felder did off his back there. So that was a clear Paul Felder run. And even after they got back up, I think he had, he had the better of the exchanges too. So, uh, you know, he beats James Vick with leg kicks. He beats Edson Barboza by, you know, pretty much outgrinding him, you know, really taking it to him in the third round too. Um, Dan Hooker on the flip side goes out there and knocks James Vick out in the first round. You know, it, it, it must have been weird for James Vick to go out there and fight somebody just as tall as him. And that's probably why he wasn't really able to get the range, which is why he was clipped on the chin and which is why he was, you know, eventually ground and pounded and, and lost via TKO there. Actually, I think he was pretty much out in that fight. They had some Barboza fight for Dan Hooker. That was a tough one. You know, Barboza ripping the leg kicks right off the bat. It will be intriguing for me to see Paul Felder take that same approach as Edson Barboza because I think that might be his path to victory here. He may have the better hands, but he's going to have to establish his leg kicking game if he's going to be able to close the distance and let his hands go to work, which is where I believe he has the advantage. Dan Hooker himself has a great leg kick game too, though. The way he was able to piece up Ally Quinta pretty much render him useless as well too uh, making him fight from his secondary position from the southpaw position and not be able to land the best of his shots uh you know was very helpful for dan hooker it's going to be fun to see these guys go leg kick for leg kick if that's where it's going to come down to because again i truly believe that to overcome the the reach disadvantage that paul feller is going to be at he's going to have to kick early and often uh he was able to get to james vick early and often uh, and then establish that you know for the rest of the fight. But I don't. I do think Dan Hooker has slightly better striking defense than a James Vick. I think it's going to be harder for Felder to reach Dan Hooker's face with, especially with how how well Dan Hooker moves. He uses his kicks a lot better to to maintain the range. He uses his jab a lot better than James Vick to maintain the range. So it's hard for me to see how Felder continuously closes the distance uh, without getting hit with a lot of good shots from Dan Hooker. Uh, one thing I like from Paul Felder is his. Uh, he likes this step in left hook with his lead hand and then come over with the right uh, hook. Beautiful combination there, but that's going to be really tough to land on a guy like Dan Hooker. Um, I think Hooker lands beautiful elbows too. The clinch is going to be interesting too because I don't know who really would have the advantage there. I got to give the ground game advantage a little bit to Dan Hooker. He has a couple more submissions on his record as well as you know just a little bit more of the, the seeking for the choke and his long limbs obviously help him in those aspects as well. Um, but I see this primarily taking place on the feet. And on the feet, I got to give it to the guy that has a little bit more range. Um, and and they both have the same amount of like, like I would place their striking roughly on the same level. Um, hand advantage to Paul Felder, kicking advantage to Dan Hooker. Uh, but then it comes down to establishing the range and maintaining that range. And you got to give that to Dan Hooker. Um, unless Paul Felder goes out there and like, you know, renders Dan Hooker's calves useless as well, just as they did in the James Vick fight. I just don't see that happening, though. I think that we see Dan Hooker go out there and start to establish his kicks, you know, hurt Paul Felder earlier. Um, but, man, this, it's 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 such a toss-up. Like, it's minus 145 right now for Dan Hooker, plus 125 for Felder. If I were kind of, you know, pressured into betting this fight, I would probably go with, with Hooker, if I'm being completely honest. Um you know, minus 140 is not too bad. But fuck, it's such a tough fight to call. I, I want to see Felder go out there and win. But considering everything that I've just laid out, you got to think that Dan Hooker has the advantage here. The odds 
obviously suggest that too. Um, but as handicappers, our our job is to go out there and 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 poke holes in the in the favorite. But you know the holes that I've poked, I think, aren't massive enough for Dan Hooker to fill uh, to actually go out there and finish or actually beat a guy like Paul Felder. I think this fight is actually going to go the full twenty five, where we see Dan Hooker maintain the distance and then land decent shots. I could see him potentially pulling off a, a, a submission later in the fight. Um, Neither guy has really gone has gone five rounds in the UFC, so this is going to be uncharted territory for them as well. Home field advantage for Dan Hooker—that's something that's got to be uh, you know put out there. Uh, Paul Felder, I believe, has been in Auckland for at least two weeks before the fight now, so he's slowly getting acclimated. But it's got to be easy for Dan Hooker to just pretty much get up out of bed, and he's pretty much at the fights. You know, it's 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 uh, that definitely has to be taken into consideration too, and. Something that I'm going to throw out, uh, when Howley and Paiva fought Kaikar friends back in uh, one of the fights that happened in, I believe it was New Zealand or Australia, Kaikar friends won that, or should have lost that fight, but I believe he won that fight due to the crowd, uh, you know, pretty much reacting to every time he landed on Paiva. I think Paiva had the better exchanges there and he should have won that fight, but due to the, I believe the the bias that the crowd was having on the judges, you got to consider that to potentially be something here for Dan Hooker too. You can't rule it out. I, I know it seems like an amateurish type of thing to to point out, but it's it's true, man. It's it's gonna have an effect. So, uh, not saying that's the main factor as to why I'm choosing Hooker, but I just think that Hooker is going to be able to you know work the range the best, keep uh, Felder on the outside, use his teeps very well too, use the front kick, uh, and I think that he's going to pull out the victory via decision. Should be a fun fight, all 25 minutes of it. Uh, but I'm going with Hooker to win by decision. All right, that's a wrap. This feels like it was a long fucking episode, but we've we've gotten through it all. Uh, so just to recap, Dog of the Night play already 1.2 units at plus 174 on Loma Lukbunmi, and then uh, more than likely going to be locking up five units on Jiao Nanyan, uh, hoping to get minus 210, minus 220-ish even. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to wait it out as best as I can and hope that people see that Karolina Kavakovic name and be like, oh, going to jump on her just because I know her. Let's hope that's what it is. Uh, all right. Make sure you guys check out Tape Index. And uh, I'll see you guys next week for what the fuck is next week. Let's see. What is the next event? UFC Norfolk which is headlined by a flyweight, vacant flyweight title fight between Davison Figueiredo and Joseph Benavides. That's a fight I can't wait to dig into because I'm fans of both guys, massive, massive fans of both guys, and believe both of them deserve a title. Maybe Benavides a little bit more than uh, Davison, uh, but this might not be the first time that these guys fight each other. So we could definitely see a trilogy going down with these guys uh, if they stick around in that division. So Thanks for watching. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, comment below. Let me know how you guys did last week. Let me know what you guys are picking this week. Um, And let's try to make some fucking money this weekend. See you guys next week.